we celebrate our moms. And today, I'd like to just take a moment and honor my mom. She's here. And I love you, Mom. Uh, my mom is a warrior. She kept three boys alive. Um, and uh, she's quite the hero for that. Quick story, uh, just while she's here. Embarrass her a little bit. Um, so I remember uh, growing up, and we had the family over the house. And we were, we were all you know cousins, aunts, uncles. Everybody's over at the house. And all the kids are outside playing. And um, you know we had a trampoline, because this boys love to do that. And uh, we... My, uh, my aunt said, uh, Colleen, that's my mom's name. My aunt said, Colleen, the, the boys are jumping off the house onto the trampoline. And she uh, said, yeah, somebody, somebody's done that. So, uh, well, mom, you know, as she did, she's standing there washing dishes. She turns around. She said, well, I, I know. I, I'm told them to move the trampoline down here in front of the window so I could watch, you know. <laughs> and uh, true story. Um, Somehow we managed to survive our childhood, and she did as well. Um, but I do remember lots of uh, memories of being a, a boy, and Mom let us be boys, and I'm thankful for that. But I look back, and I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of the things that um, I was able to do as a, as a child. One of the things I'm most thankful for are the times that um, running through the house, I'd barge into Mom's bedroom door, uh, ready to shout something, I need a peanut butter and jelly, or I need this, I need that, and I'd find my mom on her knees by her bed, Bible open, glasses somewhere on the bed, facing her hands, praying. And those are the moments that will change you, you know? And so I thank you, Mom. I love you. The mission of motherhood is not so different from the mission of the church. And the mission of parenting is raising children, not just to be good athletes, not just to be good citizens, not just to be good people. But if you're a Christian, the mission of parenting is to disciple your children, is to raise children to love Jesus. And some of you are in a few weeks are getting ready to send kids off to college or you're getting ready to graduate uh, college students off to life and um, I imagine the anxiety in you of like, I wonder if we did a good job with this. It's at that point that maybe you, you just really entrust your children to Jesus. And um, all along the way, I want to tell you, he's had them anyway, right? And he just entrusted them to you for a little while. And so I want to tell you, if you're a parent, um, invest wisely. Invest wisely. Invest the gospel into your kids. Show them that Jesus matters more than anything. Because the end of your time with your children, um, whether or not they're good athletes or good whatever, doesn't matter as much as whether or not they love Jesus. Amen? So I want to challenge us to be disciple makers in our homes. But I want to ask us today as, as a church and as individuals, are you a disciple maker? Are we as a church, effectively making disciples. Today we're going to read um, a text that you're probably very, very familiar with. And so I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 28. The end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has gathered His disciples on a hill and He's about to leave them. Before he leaves, he has some very important instructions. And you've probably heard this text a um, hundred times 
maybe heard a handful of sermons on this passage. And so I just want to ask you um, to pray to the Lord for fresh eyes and uh, a sensitive heart to hear from God today. Ask this question to yourself. Well, to the Lord about yourself. Ask this question, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what do you want from me? I believe he intends to answer that today. In honor of God's word, will you stand with me as we read? So Jesus has gathered his disciples on a hillside in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, make it clear for us what you'd have us to do. Give us the confidence to obey you. Lord, help us to walk away from the comforts of our lives and pursue the mission of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I do want us to look at this text on two two levels today. I want us to look at it both from a corporate perspective, like how does the church, what is the church involvement, what's the role of the church in this mission, and then also on an individual level, I want us to think about the mission of making disciples As an individual. Okay, so first, just asking some some probably painful questions, but honest questions. As a church, how are we doing at making disciples? How effective are we? What's our strategy? And are we executing it well? All of those questions, um, I hope you're asking, I hope our elders are asking as We want to be obedient to the mission Jesus has given us. When we ask that question, Lord, what would you have us to do? This is the way he answers. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's his answer. So the the best question we could ask ourselves then to follow up is, are we are we doing that? Corporately, we should be asking that question. And then individually. You know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. There are no sideline Christians. A lot of Christians believe and think that, you know, um, that's what we pay pastors to do. It's why we send missionaries. And, and surely those are legitimate things. But if we're paying pastors or church staff or sending missionaries to do the work that Jesus has told us to do, then we're missing it. And that's what's called disobedience. So I want to call us all to realize that following Jesus means fishing for men. That was the original call he gave in Matthew 4.19 when he first called these disciples to himself. He says, follow me and I'll teach you to fish for men. Right after he brought in a huge catch of fish and they were all amazed at at this miracle Then he says, if you'll follow me, I'll teach you to do that with men. 
The, the call to make disciples wasn't something he bait and switched them with. It wasn't kind of a, you guys come on with me, we'll, we'll do this, it'll be fun three years later. By the way, here's your mission. No, it was from the outset. Follow me and you fish for men. That has been the mission all along for every Christian. So if you call yourself a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's the question. Are you making disciples? Are you fishing for men? Because I feel like we have a lot of people who, not just here, but a lot of people broadly speaking who say, I'm a Christian, but have never fished for men. And it, it's, it's, as, it's like saying I'm an apple tree and never making apples. Jesus has given us one great command, lots of commands, but this one, he says, I have all authority, therefore, go make disciples. So I want us to individually evaluate ourselves and then corporately as a church, how are we doing with this mission? The church is God's plan to accomplish this mission. There are great prayer church, church organizations. There's great um, entities out there that we, we partner with and link up with to do the work of the mission. But the church is God's primary instrument for accomplishing His mission. So I want to give us three um, points from this text today to just guide our conversation. As we move into the outline, hopefully you got an outline on your way in. Uh, here's the reality. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Maybe you want to write that down on the notes. Here it is. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. In fact, you could probably say this is a qualifying attribute to whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus. This is what it looks like to believe and acknowledge His authority. It's what it looks like to obey His command. And it's what it looks like to trust in His presence. And so that's what we're going to talk through. These three things this morning. So the first thing is this. We believe in the authority of Christ. You know, he begins this great command by saying, All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. So two thoughts about that. First, who gave it to him? Well, in John 17, verse 2, Jesus made it really clear in his prayer that the Father gave him all authority. He made it really clear. God the Father gave him all authority. Now, when Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth, he, he made it really clear that there's no authority that's outside of his authority. Like every authority in this world is under his rule. Every one of them. He's the authority over them all. So what are the implications now? Of his authority. If he really is the boss, if he is the master, if he has all authority, and he does, then what are those implications? Well, here's a few Jesus is king and worthy of praise of all peoples. He's the king who's worthy of the praise of all peoples. There's a um, prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 that talks about the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom that is coming. And I want you to listen to some of the hints that are in this passage that are um, being 
further explained in Matthew 28. And then the song we sang couldn't have been more appropriate to, to lead us to think about Revelation chapter 7 and, and others about the universal church, the church future that's coming, the church eternal of all the tribes and tongues and nations. But Daniel chapter 7 is a prophecy about the coming kingdom. Look at verse 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus in this command is telling his people, I want you to be a part of bringing about my kingdom. And my kingdom is going to be a kingdom of all nations. So get busy making disciples of all nations. He's the king. This authority of Christ gives us confidence that his mission will succeed. It gives us confidence. When we go to share the faith in places like Lebanon or Haiti or other countries, we go across the street and talk to our neighbors or you go to your work and uh, it just comes up in conversation and you begin to talk about Christ. That boldness, that confidence comes from the fact that Jesus is the authority. We can rest in his authority and boldly share the gospel knowing that his mission will succeed. It will succeed. We talked last week about the church eternal, the church out in the future. And we just painted a picture of where this whole thing is going. And again, I love that we sang that song this morning because it reminds our hearts that this mission will succeed. We will be gathered around a throne with millions, God willing, of people who across the span of history have put their faith in Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. And we will be among them crying out, worthy is the Lamb. That's where this is going. And we are guaranteed it will get there because of the authority of Christ. Thirdly, it makes us fearless in the face of persecution. He has all authority. We read through the book of Acts as, as these first disciples begin to obey this command. What we find is that they're not pushed back by anybody. They're not, they're not pushed into a corner and afraid to be faithful. Instead, they're bold. They stand in the face of rulers and, and authorities of their day who say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. You see that our authority gives us a kind of fearless boldness even in the face of persecution and suffering. And these last two, I hope to really encourage you in this. The authority of Jesus should give you hope-filled prayers. Hope-filled prayer. You can pray to a God who is able to save. In Romans 10:1, we see a prayer from the Apostle Paul. He said, 
My heart's desire and my prayer for my brothers is that they may be saved. Do you have anybody like that in your life that you're praying for that they may be saved? I mean, with all your heart, like Paul goes on to write in that passage, he he says, "I'd, I'd give up my own salvation if they would just believe. If I could do it, I'd, I'd make a trade. I love them that much. And he's praying with that kind of passion to a God who has all authority. And so his prayers are full of hope. We can pray that way, church. You can pray for your lost brothers and sisters. You can pray for your lost cousins, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, those around the world that you've never met. You can pray for them with hope because we have a God in Jesus who has all authority. Lastly, on this point, we have a hope-filled evangelism. Because Jesus has all authority... He is sending us to do something we're not even able to do. Have you realized that? When He says, go and make disciples, what He's telling you to do is something you're not able to do. You're not able to open someone's eyes to the beauty of the Gospel. You're not able to help and make someone repent of their sin and turn to follow and trust in Jesus. You're not able to make that happen. And yet He calls you to do it. Why? How? Because He's given the authority to you. You're going in His behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, at the end of that chapter, Paul says that we have been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And we cry out, begging, be reconciled to God. The Bible actually says we speak as ambassadors for Him. Have you ever thought about that and that terminology? We are His ambassadors. That means you're speaking on His behalf. Which means you're speaking with His authority. When you speak the gospel, you're speaking with His authority. It makes me think of what Jesus told Paul. In Acts 26, Paul is remembering and he's um, explaining to, I think, King Agrippa. He's telling King Agrippa about his experience on the road to Damascus when the light shone from heaven, knocked him off his horse, and Jesus called him to mission. But he gives us some details in this recounting that maybe we didn't read in in Acts chapter 9. Here he says, this is Jesus now speaking to the apostle who was Saul, now Paul. He says, I've appeared to you for this purpose... To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you. And look at verse 18. I'm sending you to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus told Saul, I'm sending you to open their eyes. That's the call to make disciples. Are you able to do that? No, I'm not able to do that. But you know when we speak the words of God, we come with His authority. And through us, He will open the eyes of the blind. And He will turn them from darkness to light. 
He will do it because he has all authority. Amen? Amen. Second point. We believe in the authority of Christ and we obey the command of Christ. This statement, therefore, is a hinge word, right? It's a hinge word that connects his authority with now his command. And he says, therefore, since I have all authority in heaven and on earth, you go and make disciples. So he's given us a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's not a, you know, if you feel like it, this would be a good thing to do with your life. It's a command. He gives this command. So let's be really clear with it. There's one imperative. That's a command. And three participles. So um, mom was an English teacher. Um, when I was little, she was a librarian a little after that. So um, imperative and participle, just to make it clear for us all, participles usually end with ing. It's like a helping verb. They tell you how to do something, whereas a command is what you're supposed to do. So there's one command in this passage. Can you identify it? You might would think it's the beginning. I have all authority, therefore what? Go. You might would think that because it doesn't end with ing in our English translations. But in the Greek it does. Probably should better translate, therefore, as you're going, and here's the command, make disciples of all nations. As you're going, make disciples. So the one imperative is that we make disciples and then three participles that explain how we're to do this are these. Going baptizing and teaching. Let's talk through those really quickly. By going, what we know about this text is Jesus is not saying, huddle up. He's not saying, come to church and do this. Make disciples. Come here. Make disciples. No. He's not saying, huddle up in your small groups. Go into your homes and huddle up. Now, he says those things in other places, but right here, that's not what he's telling us. What he's saying is, go to those who do not believe. Yes, of course, you gather with those who do believe. You get in the Word. You study. You worship together. But right here, I'm telling you, go to those who are not believers. So with the word going, you might would write underneath that evangelism. Share the gospel. Speak the truth of the gospel to those who need to hear it. This is how we make disciples. We go to the world that needs to know about Christ. Secondly, when they believe, and they will because He has all authority, some will believe. And when they do, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a portrait of salvation, right? It's displaying, showing the gospel. It's a portrait of salvation, but it brings you into a family. We've talked about this a good bit, but I'll reiterate When you become a believer, you're adopted, is what the Scripture teaches. And you have a new father. God becomes father. But in that picture, built into that, you have not only a new father vertically, but you have a new family horizontally. So when we are baptized, it's a display of our death and burial and resurrection in the likeness of Jesus. But we are baptized in that way in front of and before, publicly, before our family. The people that we want to do life with. The church. 
Well, what would be the purpose of that? How about it would be for this reason? I'm, I'm here to be baptized. Hey, church, I've given my life to Jesus. This is a representation of what He's done in me. The old me is dead. The new me wants to walk in newness of life. I need your help. Hold me accountable. Help me live the gospel in my life. Baptism is a picture of of not just a relationship with Him, but a relationship with each other. That we need one another for accountability. When you're baptized... That's you saying to this group of people, I need you. You need me and I need you. If I'm going to live this life He's called me to, I need you. Thirdly, teaching. What is that? Well, it's not standing behind a podium and giving a lecture or a sermon. Those things are good. But when He says teaching to observe, it's different. That phrase is more like coaching. It's like hands-on kind of coaching. Um, When Lauren and I first got married, she started started teaching school and... um, I just wanted to be involved at the school she was teaching, and so I, I um, volunteered to be a wrestling coach. That's what I did in high school. I was a wrestler, and so I just volunteered to coach wrestling. Well, little did I know the coach there didn't know anything about wrestling. He was a history teacher, and he just signed up for the, for the extra money. <laughs> so when I came along, he was like, hey, I'll make the schedule if you do the coaching. I was like, okay. So what I learned is I can't just stand off to the side and go, okay, now you need to do this. All right. All right, now do that. That's helpful. But when you really want to help somebody grow in, their, in their, what they're trying to accomplish, it takes a little bit of hands-on work. Everybody with me? You know what I mean? Coaching, it requires you get in there, roll around a little bit, show them how to do a move. That's the kind of disciple-making Jesus is talking about here. Teaching them to observe. It's a life-on-life kind of teaching. It's not just a lecture Student kind of teaching. So as we're trying to make disciples, are you living that way? Life on life with people. Four quick things on this point of how we can obey the command of Christ. Four quick things. First, speak the gospel. Speak it. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, uh, I'm just going to live out my testimony and hope they'll see Jesus in me. And I hope they do. And you better live that way. If you're going to speak it, you better live it. But you've got to speak it. At some point, it's got to come out of your mouth. You've got to love them enough to say, Jesus loves you. He loves you and He died for you because you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Trust in Christ. How unloving is it to not say that? If we genuinely believe in a future kingdom with a king, with people gathered around his throne, and there's a great reality that unbelievers will not be there, how unloving is it to not tell them how they can know this God? That's not just my perspective. There's a famous atheist. Um, We'll play that video here. There's a famous atheist. He's a magician in Las Vegas. You familiar with Penn and Teller? Everybody familiar with Penn and Teller? Do a magic act. Penn is the bigger guy with the ponytail. Um, He's an atheist, probably the most well-known atheist in America. But I want you to listen to his comments. This is—he's doing a little selfie video. I want you to listen to what he says about Christians who refuse to speak the gospel. Let's uh, start that back with the with the audio on that computer there. 
And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't, and I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tap you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. How about that? If I believe with all that's in me that there's a truck bearing down on you, about to run you over, I'm going to tell you about it. And at some point, I'm just going to tackle you because it's that important. He said, this is more important than that. Now, that's from an atheist. His perspective is, if you don't tell me about Jesus and you firmly believe he's my only hope, how much do you hate me? So I would tell you, speak the gospel. And secondly, show the gospel. Like we're called to live it, to model it. Put it on display. This gospel transforms your life. Or does it? Thirdly, soak in the word. If you want to make disciples of people, you've got to have something to tell them. And he's given us an incredible truth to share. Don't just put this book up on the dash and let it get dusty and pull it down once a week for church. Now get it out every day. Get in it before the kids get up. Get, get in the Word at night before you go to sleep. Get in this book and soak in the Word. Fourthly, serve the world. Find ways to obey Jesus specifically. He's very specific. Make disciples of all nations. This is the reason why we partner with missionaries in Lebanon and missionaries in Haiti and we're, we're prayerful about other opportunities as well. This is the reason why we support them financially and the reason why we go to them. We're planning a trip to Haiti, possibly another trip to Lebanon, to share the gospel with the nations. There's lots of other opportunities to do that. How are you being obedient to that specific command? Serve the world with the gospel. Lastly, we trust in the presence of Christ. We trust in the presence of Christ. Jesus finishes this great commission uh, passage with a beautiful promise. Here's what he says to anyone who takes his mission to go and make disciples of all nations. Anybody who takes that mission seriously, he says... And behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. That promise is intended to give confidence and encouragement as we go. As we go, we should be confident we're not alone. Like I'm not going by myself. I've got Jesus himself with me. He's with me. We will only know... The power of His presence when we give our whole lives 
to his mission of making disciples. I hope we see that. That the promise of his presence in this kind of a way is contingent on our participation in his mission. What he says is, I'll be with you as you're going, as you're making disciples. Behold, I'll be with you. It's not that he won't be with you when you're disobedient. He will be with you. But what I'm saying is you will not know the power of his presence apart from your participation in his mission. So I want to call us, all of us, young people, middle-aged people, people in retirement, older, people with health problems, people who are healthy, people who every person in this room If you've put your faith in Jesus, the answer to the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Are you doing that today? Church, are we doing that? Are we effectively as a corporate body making disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus Certainly we can improve. And we aim to. But I want to commission us out. I want to encourage you as you go today to make disciples. But we're going to respond um, with some music. They're going to come and, and lead a song for us. And I just want to encourage you um, as we finish. If you're a Christian and you're committed to Mountain View Church. It's our desire to equip you. Every one of you. To make disciples. There's no spectators here. We don't, we don't want any audience members. We're trying to raise up an army. We want all in. All in. Put on the uniform. Take up the weapons. Let's go. Let's, let's suit up with the armor of God and go into battle together. We're, we want to be an all in kind of church. We want every follower of Jesus to be involved in fishing for men. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're here today. We're so glad you're here. We want to tell you that there's hope for you. Like you can turn from your sin just like I did. You can repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. And He will save you. He promises He will. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be today. He died in your place. He died the death you deserve to die. He rose from the dead. And He offers salvation and hope to you. So if you need to follow Christ today, don't wait. Don't hesitate. If you need to reprioritize some things, church, to make this mission your mission, let's do that. Let's move some things around. Let's shift some stuff. Let's move our life around. Let's prioritize this mission in our lives.